You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, my friends. I'm so glad that you joined me today. I hope you're enjoying these conversations. We're in the midst of a special series uh, in conjunction with my book, Away With Words, using our online conversations for good, which has been published by B&H that is now out and available. You can go to my website, awaywithwordsbook.com, and find links to all your favorite retailers. I would encourage you to pick that up. I wanted to have on the show my friend David Zoll. David is the author of a fascinating book called Seculosity, which I really encourage you to, to go get. He is also the founder and I think executive editor of Mockingbird, which is a great Christian site with some really good content. Dave and I will talk about some of the reasons, the motivations that people do what they do online, why people are so tempted to kind of curate a different version of themselves, what's underneath our incivility, what's underneath the things that drive us, and what is the solution. Uh, David has some very good insights, so I think you'll enjoy this conversation with David Zoll. Well, I'm glad to have on the Way Home podcast uh, someone who's writing I've I've enjoyed for a long time, David Zoll, who is the editor, founder of Mockingbird, uh, which is a very popular online destination for content and, and spiritual things, blogs and articles and books and conferences and a number of things. Also prolific author. His latest book is Seculosity, which I just loved. One of my favorite books of 2019, I had a friend who said, you've got to read this book. And I've said, okay, I'll read this book. And it, it was really perfect for Kind of what I was thinking through 2019, but also working when I was working on Away with Words. In fact, I had a like I, I was I quoted you a lot in my book, and I had to take a lot of them out because I had to like write my own things. The editor was <laughs> like, "You keep quoting Dave Zoll." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, maybe I should take a few out." But I really appreciate it. So, Dave, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you, thank you. I really am. I'm grateful to be here, and um, I think this is a very important subject. And of course, I'll take uh, I'll take praise like that any day of the week. So, yeah. So we're doing this series of podcasts as a kickoff to the, the release of my book, Away With Words, Redeeming Our Online Conversations for Good, which is coming up from B&H. And I wanted to talk to you because one of the things that I love about what you're doing in Seculosity is you're getting underneath some of the reasons that we do what we do online. I mean, you and I have talked about this, that you know, our position is, is that, I mean, I think other people have, have written good books on Sabbath rest and taking time away and screen time. That's a great conversation. That's not what we're doing. So some people advocate complete retreat from the internet, and they usually do like a, a big social media tour to announce it, by the way. And then other people, you know, don't even think about their engagement. And so we're kind of saying it's good, it, but there's also corrupting ways to interact online. But what I love about what you're doing is you're getting underneath why we are tempted to do the things online, whether it's, you know, to present the perfect visual family on Instagram or the parenting pressures to be seen as a good mom or dad or activism where we have to be seen as on the right side and against the right people. So I, I love how you got underneath all that. That that seemed to be your purpose with seculosity, right? Yeah. Well, th- thank you, D- Daniel. I, that's, that's exactly what I was hoping to do because like you, and I mean, it's in your introduction, it's 
Twitter itself, it's, it's as tempting as it is to say that Twitter is the problem. And certain things, I think, can be set up in ways that are more beneficial and less beneficial. However, um, the problem is, is, the, is the way that people behave on Twitter, is the human beings. Uh, we, as Christians, we would say sin is the issue. It's expressing itself there, that these things are fairly neutral, um, fairly neutral. Uh, but yes, what I was, what I, one of the arguments I'm, or observations I'm trying to make in the book, in Seculosity, is to say that an enormous amount of our, especially our online communication, and, and our daily life too, is coming from a place of wanting to assert our enoughness or uh, demonstrate our righteousness. Um, the, the theological word for this is justification. And we're, we're in the things we say and the way we say it and the person, people we say it to and who we associate with. We're trying to say that I'm enough, I'm valuable, I'm good. And sometimes we do that by saying, by um, inflating how bad you are. Uh, I, f- I will there feel, therefore feel better. So I was interested in unpacking that dynamic, the performative, the, the performance system of mm-hmm. uh, the internet that can become very, very exhausting, I think, because if you're always on stage, you're never relaxed. Yeah. We weren't, it doesn't seem, and I write about this in the book, but, you know, obviously God does give some people platforms that can be steward, stewarded. And, and I, you know, I don't think platforms bad. Uh, you know, Charles Spurgeon had a platform and Whitfield and, you know, I'm trying to think of Lutheran guys, Dave, but uh, they had a platform. Martin Luther had a platform, right? Yes. Let's go this, with him. Him, you know, he, yeah. he did a few things. Calvin had, plat- so platform isn't bad, but I, this era that we're in where you're, you're always on the stage all the time. You're always performing for your followers. And you got to the heart of that, that it's really all performance. So you could be an activist, really mad. That's a performance. You could be a mom who's performing for other moms. You could be an Instagram influencer Mm. who has to have the perfect grammable vacation. And so that seems to be underneath it. But, But you kind of draw people back to, we don't have to live this way because of who we are in Christ, right? Yes. I think that... As if if the book had simply been a, and I think your book does a great job of this too. If it's simply a criticism of the way that we operate online, then um, it would be very depressing because a lot of um, just on the surface it can get pretty dark pretty quickly. But as Christians, we have somewhere to go. You know, we, when we perform poorly, when we're exhausted, you know, when we're guilty, when we're caught, when we're um, when we say the wrong thing. And or we write the wrong words. It's not the we we at the wrong time. So we we go to God. It, God is is forgiving. I mean, that's who, when God reveals Himself in Christ. He's saying, "I am." This is the kind of God I am who, who will die for His children, who will give them the righteousness they cannot uh, earn or establish or assert on their own through their. Facebook profile, and mm-hmm. so to come at therefore then to come to come at uh, online discourse or discourse with other people, other Christians, and other uh, just other people from a place of enoughness rather than for it 
if you're coming for that God, you know, you're washed in the blood of the lamb is the traditional language. If you're coming to the internet from that place for that sort of rock solid foundation of the blood of Christ, well, then I think you might be able to hold some of these other things. I, I can, I can express things uh, because I, because they're true rather than because of what they say about me, or I can, I can care for my neighbor or I can hold my convictions, my, you know, philosophical or political convictions, I hold them a little more gently, knowing that the ultimate arbiter of my worth and value is God himself. You, you're, you're someone who has made a career out of words. I mean, that's, this is what you do. This is, this is what I've done my whole life. We just love, we love words. And it struck me when I was putting the book together, how, how much Christianity is really, it's a faith about words. We have the the God who spoke creation into existence. Christ is the logos, the word of God. We have the written word of the Bible. Maybe speak a little bit to how, how we should think about our words, how Christians should steward their words when they're writing, when they're speaking, particularly in this era where it's so easy to, to publish, to post, to send, to tweet. Just think about like, you're someone that has made a living out of words. I mean, talk about well, that dynamic. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I struggle with this, all of the dynamics that you name and outline so well, and I could use a little bit more discernment. So I don't speak, I speak about this with someone, a lot of it with quite a bit of experience, but not a lot of expertise, you might say. Um, so I, I, yes, my, <laughs> a few things I've learned over the years is to always sit on something that you think is going to upset someone. You know, Alan Jacobs has that wonderful book, How to Think. And he says, you know, oh, basically, so basically wait five minutes after you've written yeah. something and then read it again. And the amount of revising, it doesn't mean you say something less substantial. It just means some of the blood pressure has gone down. Yeah. And you can, the, the self-righteousness is deflated that uh, you can, you can hear what, what, what's being said or what you're saying and how it, how it might be heard rather than just this desperate need to get it off your chest or use your word as a weapon. Are we using our words to build up other people or are we using our words to tear them down? And these are the great questions for me in, in most of my work, because I talk a lot about culture. And although I think there's most of my writing falls under what you would call cultural criticism, I'm still trying to make connections rather than simply disconnections. So, you know, as a, as a Christian trying to, to find the, the common, the small bit of common ground I can uh, with if, especially if there's a, a, a standpoint that I really f find difficult or a person or a argument, how can I get underneath? What is it that they're, what kind of enoughness are they, uh, are they struggling with? What, what's the emotion that I can hear? What kind of pain is it? One of the great lies I think that the internet promotes just by its nature is that everyone else has it together, you know, but mm -hmm. not me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is, I think, a perennial thing. It's, um, it's a sort of a human condition thing where we think that everyone else, everyone else is presenting the facade of perfection and you feel like you're the only person who's just, just paddling below the water like crazy to appear holy or to appear patient or to appear uh, intelligent. And um, what we know as Christians is that in fact, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous and that other person's sin may have a different form a different expression, but um, everyone is dealing with that burden in some way, and uh, that's going to come out in their writing. 
So that that to me is is a is a start base point of compassion that the 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 the, the 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 even ground at the foot of the cross is like human fallibility and sin and suffering, and therefore how can I talk to people even if their form of expression is truly alienating? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, how to how to think is I think Alan Jacobs says a lot of these things better than I ever could. After, it's, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved that book. I read that in the same season. I read your book. I read about three or four books, yours, Alan Jacobs, David Brooks, Second Mountain. I don't know if you read that. It's just sure. fantastic. And the writing is exquisite. And I read Kurt Thompson is a, he's like a brain guy, but he's also a, like, he's like a neurosurgeon, but he's a theologian too. And he had some really good stuff about shame. Uh, so it all kind of fit together. I was really struck too by thinking about how there's a temptation for us to curate a version of ourselves that we find lacking in real life. Like that to me is what's underneath a lot of what we do. So like, I don't know if if you have found this, but I have some of the people who are really mean online, like Mm -hmm. nasty are like meek and quiet offline. And it's almost like we have to create, you know, maybe they never were considered courageous or, or whatever, in life so they can create this new person and you can kind of go down the line, right? Like you want to curate a version of your family. That's just not real that you wish is real online. That, that kind of seems a little bit what we're trying to do sometimes. And your word that, Hey, Christ loves the, like the, the unfiltered version of you, the uncurated, the real you, right? Real you. Even if, so you put out this curated version of yourself, the shiny happy, or in our current parlance, it's like the perfectly messy, you know, like you, you get exactly yes. the, the right chinks in the art of vulnerability, but you're vulnerable about, you know, your struggles with your perfectionism, but you're not really vulnerable about your struggles with alcohol or with right. debt or with, you know, yeah. these things. So um, you you put this version of yourself out there. And what the thing that happens is that it, if it doesn't get garner affection or love then you feel bad but if it does garner approval and likes and hand claps well then you feel bad too because you you know that's not really you and so you know that they're loving a construct and uh then you feel more pressure to keep that up and i mean you might feel okay for a little while i'd still rather get thumbs up than thumbs down on any just just base level however that curation is such a it's a word that when I was a kid only applied to, you know, um, museums. And now I feel it's the great word for the way that we have digital lives. Uh, b- by the way, I completely agree with that observation. How many people have I met that are sort of lions online and mice in real life? Or, and, I, and I always would wonder, it's like, if there's that big of a disparity between who you are in your tone, um, because you usually don't notice it if it's a person that's super loud in in physical life and they're just super quiet online. You don't really notice that. It's the other. It's the it's the people who are really obnoxious and in your face and kind of mean. And then when you meet them, they're like the sweetest person ever. You're like something's yeah. get something's getting lost here, yeah. or there's some deception happening. But whatever it is, I no longer really trust what you have to say. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. It does seem too that with parenting, the parenting chapter was really helpful that what we're tempted to do, and that's not just online, but in life, but I translate to online, like even the way we curate our images 
like we have to present this image as I'm a good dad. Here's a, here's a image of me with my kids or here's, here's me wrestling with my kids. And I, the cynical part of me, whenever I see those, I'm always like, all right, who took the picture? How did that conversation go? Right. Hey, let me um, pretend to box you playfully. (laughs) And then let's make sure the light is good. And then like you take the picture here, you know, (laughs) Yeah, but, just, just long enough. And they stop immediately after the photo is taken. And yeah, the, the kid is just bewildered by the end. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a sense that we have to, with our parenting, right. That we want to be seen as that kind of parent, uh, you know, that, that, that was one area that really, that, that chapter really struck me. Yeah. And you know, when you talk about online, we're talking about online discourse, the online discourse around parenting is nearly as toxic as the online discourse around partisan politics or, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, super confessional, uh, you know, strands of Christianity, like the interdenominational fighting. Um, you find people's feelings about their parenting style or it's so personal. No one likes to be criticized or be told they're a bad parent or that they're failing, even though that's what most parenting literature is ultimately some version of you're failing. (laughs) Um, But I find it to be very difficult to, uh, it's a little harder on women. I think if, if you go into the, the world of mom uh, blogs uh, and from what I've heard from my wife, but also from other women, they just say that people are vicious in the, in the, in the ways that they uh, criticize you. So that, that to me was always a red herring or a, a, a sign that something else was going on than just talking about, uh, you know, whether little Jimmy's going to, you know, be, learn to read. It's, it's a proxy for your own righteousness, your own enoughness. And uh, these things are in competition and, and it's a sort of a winner take all. It, it becomes that. Um, where the kids are like props and that's a, that's a cynical view. But I, I do believe as we, we, as Christians, we look to, you know, we believe God is our, is the father. And so we, we, what's that model? Like, uh, is that a father who is more concerned with how he looks to other parents or is he really concerned with the, 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 you know, the adopting all of these wayward sheep, you know? So. Yeah, I, yeah, you can tell I have a preacher side to me that I just kind of get going on these things. But yeah, I want to pivot to pastors too. Like, how do you pastor well in this online age? In a couple ways, like pastors themselves. I have a chapter in leadership, and I I do think sometimes we forget that even when we're online, if you have a spiritual office, that you know you're still you're still a pastor when you're online. The way we engage, people are watching. Our people might be watching. We can model good good behavior, good words online. But I also think there's pressure for pastors to perform a little bit online, to be seen as a certain kind of pastor or or to project one way or the other to a certain tribe that you're with them. Um, Mm -hmm. So speak about that a little bit. No, the, the being a pastor has always been a difficult job that, you know, you clearly need to be called by God to do because it is so hard. And uh, in this age, I, I very, I'm, I'm, I pray for pastors and, you know, I am one myself to some extent, but I see right now having to not only, um, you know, interpret, you know, the word of God and, and communicate effectively with uh, your flock, um, you now have to sort of build a personal brand and uh, curate that and be a content creator. Uh, yes, signal to your own tribe. But I'm watching, some, someone made a joke about during the early days of the corona quarantine, all of these uh, pastors were 
you know, right, doing sermons and they were filming them themselves and they ended up looking like Bin Laden videos, you know, because they're all so low production wise. And you just feel for pastors who've got a really good word to share, but then all of a sudden they're being asked to also be a television producer. I feel I very much the, the, the things like the, the kind of hubris and attention and uh, glory that you get as a pastor or as an internet influencer does not, I don't think it's spiritually uplifting. And so it's a, it can be, we need to pray for our pastors because they're in a precarious situation where if they're, if they are effective and they are really good communicators and I've been at some, I've watched some, you know, ministers some, who, who are just unbelievably good. Maybe you've seen one of those guys who could, who could just have the Bible open and speak for 45 minutes, com- very compellingly. And that sort of uh, gift, when it hits the internet, has a tendency to, to balloon. And on the one hand, you have more people being reached with the gospel. And so there's a justification for it. But on the other hand, you have this parade of pastors who it goes to their head and they start to, um, uh, their, their gifting, which was really meant for sort of a local thing, becomes something that explodes. And uh, I think yeah. the, kind of the devil gets a hold of it, but... Yeah, the thing that you are good at in this in seculosity is you really hit the nail on the head that there really is no secularism. Mm. There's just other religions. It, it strikes me as so true in this moment. And online, I think there's temptations toward that where there's just kind of group think and everyone there has I feel like every day there's a ritual sacrifice. We get up every day. Who are we gonna hate on today? Who are we mm. gonna cast all our sins upon? Who's gonna be the scapegoat to make us look better? You really hit on that, on that. It, it, it seems to be true. Well, there's a new chapter actually coming out in the paperback this, this, uh, this summer, and I talk specifically about scapegoating, and I talk about Rene Girard's ideas of mimetic mm-hmm. desire, and uh, which sounds so highfalutin, but it really is that this sense in which um, we will heap all of our uh, terrible feeling about ourselves, all the condemnation onto, we'll find one target for it, and preferably someone who's um, transgressed our particular norms, and then we will make them suffer it, and we will feel better for a little while until the until the next thing. And somehow the internet makes that that dynamic. It's always been with us, you know. It's always been with us. And Gerard just just looks at it in the Bible. Something about Twitter uh, seems to uh, reinforce our scapegoating. And that's a very, that is a very religious dynamic. I mean, um, it, unavoidably so. And yet you can also, a scapegoating can also be a road into talking about Jesus and to talking about uh, the, the sins of the world being taken on, you know, in, in, in the one perfect sacrifice and oblation for the sins of the world. That's how my tradition puts it. So there are um, gifts, even in these terrible patterns that we fall into. Um, But I often wonder why people get so mad because if you, if you log on to uh, Twitter, you'll, you'll find there's a, there's a canceling party, like a Jimmy Fallon is over hashtag Jimmy, you know, hashtag Billie Eilish is over, whatever it is. And everyone's (laughs) basically (laughs) venting all of their uh, shame onto this one figure. And by saying, I'm not like them. And uh, then they suffer it. You sometimes they actually, physically suffer it. And then you kind of move on. It's, it's kind of 
the the tension is uh, evaporates for a heartbeat and then it builds up again and so um that's a very religious dynamic and i think seculosity which i i think i don't know if we've said it but it's a it's a combination of the word secular and religiosity Mm -hmm. you see religious dynamics play out in at the gym and in the in at the restaurants and Mm -hmm. and certainly at political rallies and with parents and the question is is there any grace (laughs) is there any Is there any forgiveness or any absolution? Is there any reconciliation mechanism at the heart of these things? Or is it simply just be better at such and such? Yeah. And, and that's, what's so interesting to me, Dave, because and Jamie Smith kind of gets at it from a different angle when he talks about secular liturgies in his work, but it's interesting to me because all the dynamics of Christianity are there without the grace, without the, redemption and reconciliation. In fact, you had a quote in there. I think it was you or, or someone you quoted that Twitter's like Christianity with all the grace sucked out or vacuumed <laughs> out or something is something like that. Yeah, and, that's, that sounds right. Yeah, or it, I think that's the internet is like the real world, but with all the forgiveness vacuumed out. But, yeah. Uh, Cause it sometimes feels that way. I don't know if it would yeah. go that far, but yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. It's there. But it does seem that there is in the midst of all this, there's a way to, there's almost like uh, as Jim, Taylor talks about the thin places. There's a way to, to point people to the forgiveness and grace that is in Christ. Like all these things are elements that people are naturally looking for because that's the way that God has created us. And we can point them in a redemptive way toward, toward the gospel, right? Yes. And that comes into how you communicate and how you discern your communication. So are you looking for a connection and you're saying, listen, listen, friend, uh, the exhaustion and the treadmill that you are on uh, and the proving that never seems to end and the, the endless striving to um, to make other people love you for for your accomplishments. Um, there is uh, I have the same thing and I'm I can connect with you on there. This is this is why Christianity, why the cross, why the resurrection means so much to me. And so it's a point of contact. And so the book is actually trying to say the problem is not that people are less religious than ever before, is that they're more religious about too many things in the sense in that they're it's a religion of law of always trying to climb these ladders and so we can those of us who've fallen off the ladder into the arms of uh, god can say listen i i i i'm i know i know this ladder i'm i'm back on it in my own ways in some certain days but um here's a great point of connection here's an incredible thin place as you say because taylor he was very influential in what i wrote as i know he's uh, for you too so I think yeah. that there's a great, a real graciousness if you can approach someone knowing that they're a co-sufferer rather than a different species. It also seems like you're liberated to be, I don't want to sound like Oprah here, so, <laughs> but you're liberated, let me say, you're liberated to the be the best version of you that God wants you to be. I almost said be your best self, but that sounds too Oprah- Joel Steeny and I just can't do that. But you're you're liberated to be the the version of you that God wants you to be. And I've seen people that communicators that get this place. It's not that it's not that they're at a place where they don't care. Like you even see this even among people that may not be professing Christians. But when you get to a place where you just it's not that you don't care, but you are not living every day for the approval of the zeitgeist of the of the, of the popular masses. Hmm. It seems like you're liberated then to do exactly what God wants you to do. Uh, and then the internet can be a wonderful place. And it could be a great place 
to create your best work, to elevate others' work that gives you joy that's true and beautiful and wonderful, to elevate voices that you appreciate, to preach the gospel, right? Use these technologies for the gospel advance. It could be a wonderful place then, right? Sure. I mean, it becomes a, a sandbox. It becomes a another set of tools that some they work well for certain things and not for everything. And uh, you're right. You know, this is one of the reasons why I love reading uh, interviews with someone like Bob Dylan or someone who's just been around for a while. Yeah. They're no longer they're they're they can communicate what they really think. And I, I have all sorts of filters in my brain saying, well, what if someone thinks this? And, yeah. and part of the internet and part of our culture today is that you have to sort of consider the worst possible interpretation of everything you say yes. before you say yes. it. Yes. You cannot presume any kind of charity. But um, when you find someone who's truly saying what they think about something, always you know, think what has died in them and been resurrected mm. in a way mm. that it's not some kind of Oprah self-fulfillment, self-realization trip. It's actually an emptying of self so that you can actually try to communicate with other people. Um, you're no longer trying to impress other folks. Uh, that was the main thing in my writing, and I'm always interested in process, and it's still there to some extent, but I, I think I take it from David Foster Wallace, who, who is much, you know, he's He's, an he's the be one of the best writers I've ever read yeah. who always said like his early stuff, he couldn't read it because he, he sounds like he's trying to convince you he's clever rather than actually try to yeah. communicate with anyone. And once you're able to start trying to communicate with someone, something inside of you has probably died, but God is, or you're, it, it can be redeemed in some very cool way. And that's why I like to, when you find someone who's like 60, 70, 80, totally. and just really just saying, but with, with love, not with not with a not trying to provoke. Uh, they're not looking over their yeah. shoulder. That's so refreshing. It is, and it, it it so is. And you see people like this throughout the culture. So I think of someone even like a. I'm trying to think of who I think about like this, but there's just examples of people like this that are like. It's not that they don't care, but they're just they're authentic and they don't have to prove anything. I think Brooks is getting that at this a little bit in Second Mountain, where like you get to the place where you're not waking up every day thinking. Okay, who can I? Who do I have to perform for today? Right. Yeah. So that's such a good word, man. Dave Zoll, this is great stuff. I could talk for hours with you about this stuff. When the apocalypse is over, maybe we'll be in the same town at something, and we can hang out and talk about it. I'd love that. A, Bap a Baptist and a Lutheran. That'd be fun. But I really appreciate your work. You know, appreciate this conversation. I think there's a lot of a lot of good stuff here. Thank you, Daniel. I just commend uh, away with words to people. And I just I hope that it gets in a lot of hands because we need all the help we can get when it comes to our online presence and witness and discourse. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at, at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters.